Thyatira was a church of love, faith, patience, and endurance. But at the same time, they had some very serious problems. They were plagued with some very dark sins. They would have times where they tolerated some bad teachers and other times when people would conduct business meetings in pagan temples where they would kill and eat animals as part of business transactions. You know, things that we normally do when we conduct business. And the name Thyatira itself means an odor of affliction. And we can look at history and see there was clearly an odor of affliction, affliction of sin, here in the city. Yet Christ wanted to redeem this church and sends this revelation essay warning that they turn their hearts back to all things godly. So thank you for joining us today. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And today we will be looking at the fourth church that is mentioned there in the book of Revelation. And I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. I'm Jay Dylan Proctor. There are a few others here with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And today, we're going to be back to talk about these different churches that we find in the book of Revelation. Now, there's always a lot of mystery around this. We come to it, and we know that there's something about this connected to history, yet it's more than just a moment in the past. There's some sort of transcendental truth that is captured in these verses. We know that there is a warning given from Christ himself about turning away from the things of sin and coming back to him. And whether it takes the form of hidden knowledge, idolatry, the sexual immorality that's going on in these places, we know that there is something going on there that still matters to us today. I say warning to turn and repent. So today we're going to be looking at Thyatira. And this is a very interesting church, and it's situated in an interesting place geographically. Now, we've got some pictures and maps and things that we'll pull up for you to see. And I just want to open up by saying there really is a rational order in how these churches are discussed in this book. Now, this revelation, it comes to the Apostle John, who is kind of a pastor in the Asia Minor region. All of these churches mentioned are churches that he would have cared about personally. He would have known the people there. He would have helped minister there. They would have been under his leadership. Now, Thyatira, as it relates to the other churches we've talked about, it's only 40 miles away from Pergamum, which is the third church found in the book of Revelation, and it's 50 miles away from Smyrna, which is the second. And this church, it is located between the crossroads of Pergamum and Sardis. And we haven't talked about Sardis yet, but it's the fifth church that we'll get to eventually. So as we look at the map, we can see how these revelations go from church to church in a close geographical area. And here in Thyatira, it is a very interesting city. It's a place where trades were abundant, and Thyatira had a very significant location. Now, if you look there in the map, our map's not very detailed. And even if we did have a detailed map, we're 2,000 years separated from when this revelation was first recorded. But Thyatira, it was located at a very important place. Now, it's not a port, obviously. It's not somewhere like Rome that's the capital of kind of the large empire over there, anything like that. But it was located between other interesting points. Now, this was a really good thing for Thyatira and also a really bad thing. The good thing about being located between other important places means that you're a place worth investing in. And there's going to be abundant trains, abundant life, a lot of things going on. People want to invest in your city and make it a good place to stop by in their travels. But the bad thing is, is that when you're located between other important places, that you're also a very opportune place to destroy. And nobody wants to be destroyed, but the unfortunate history of Thyatira is that it was destroyed from time to time and even facing utter destruction in some cases. Everything that made this place worthy of investment also made it worthy of total destruction. And at the time when this revelation comes here in the book of Revelation, the city is it's over 300 years old, but not quite 400 yet. 
and it dates back to the time of Alexander the Great and everything after that, so it's a little bit after him. And now we're 300 years down the pipe, and that's where this revelation comes. But also, this is a interesting place historically because of some other biblical characters that we find coming out of it. And I'm going to throw things over to Pastor Amanda to talk to us about that. One of the most uh, notable uh, people that come out of the city of Thyatira is uh, Lydia, who you may remember from uh, the book of Acts, so specifically in chapter 16. And actually where we find her in the biblical narrative is she's in Philippi and she's leading uh, kind of a prayer service by the river uh, where Paul and his companions will meet her and they will share uh, the gospel with them and she will be one of the first uh, converts in that area. Uh, kind of convert to Christianity, although kind of there's this understanding that she knew a little bit about who God was and who God is. Um, but she was a seller of purple, which as we get into the, the story more about Thyatira, we'll see how this is significant and how she will take her trade that she probably learned there in Thyatira and then traveled that to Philippi, where she would become one of the first leaders um, in that area. So that's pretty interesting. You, you mentioned that she's a seller of purple. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly does that have to do with Thyatira? Why were they on that? Um, you know, what, what exactly was going on? I know that it was located in, in between other important places, and, you know, we'd stop by to purchase things. Right. Well, Thyatira, like all these towns that, or cities that we're talking about here in uh, the churches that are mentioned in Revelation, they're all significant places of trade. But really where Thyatira will set its part itself apart is it is home to all these guilds. So not just places of trade, but really the centers of business. And then where like kind of the standard of what is good business would, would take place. And these would be businesses like woodworking, linens, uh, garments, dyers, which is would specifically speak to Lydia um, because she would, that's the seller of purple. You can't sell a color obviously, but she would dye clothes that were dyed purple, which depending on which historical commentator you read could be anything from a more bluish color to a more reddish to everything in between. But anyways, it, it, very expensive and hard to make. Uh, so she was very, uh, probably very rich and very skilled for her to be this. Um, but Thyatira would be also known for its leatherworks, tanners, potters, bakers, um, bronze smiths, and even uh, the slave trade would be very prevalent in this area. But the main thing here, again, because all these cities would be known for their trade, is Thymateria has the center of business and business guilds, which we don't hear a lot, but this would be like having the Better Business Bureau being centered in your town. Uh, yeah. It makes the standards for all other businesses. And, and I'm glad you brought up something like the Better Business Bureau because that's not something that people typically think about a lot. I don't know about y'all, but I don't get up in the morning and be like, hmm, I wonder what all of these bureaucracies are doing. <laughs> Maybe we should think about that. But even though the Better Business Bureau is a little bit different than like a federal government bureaucracy or something like that. Um, but the thing is, is there are elements of society which oftentimes they're not as theatrical as other parts. So like we might talk and make a movie about something that happened in World War II. Because it's kind of a point where even the factories are doing something that's part of a larger scale thing. But then you might look at another time like the middle of the 1990s and probably people aren't talking very regularly about how linens are made at that time. But at the same time, people are still buying clothes and doing a lot of stuff. They're outfitting their lives with all the things which bring us creature comforts and even the things which are necessary. Thyatira is filled with all of these trades which make life you know, more, more, these are the, the things which they kind of rank kind of low on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They're, they're the things where they're kind of essential, like woodworking, things of that nature, garments, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers. These are things which are all common in life. 
but they don't always have the the drama and excitement. You know, we're not singing songs about um, these things terribly <laughs> often, but they're so fundamental to to the world. And the fact that Thyatira is filled with so many of these shows you that this really is a well-developed place, even though it's not Rome, even though it's not some big port town that's a big place of trade. It doesn't have a great library like some of the other towns we've talked about. But nonetheless, it is a thriving civilization. It's a great place to live as far as the economy and things of that nature goes. But that's not the whole meaning of life. Sin can creep into good times, and spiritual darkness can come into good times places because what makes a place good isn't always what we humans want to say makes it good. So we've talked a little bit about the history of Thyatira, but let's actually read into the scripture and find out some of these dark things that they have going on here. Brother Anthony, would you read us out of the book of Revelation chapter 2 and begin there in verse 18. Starting in verse 18. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. I know that your last words are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her fornication. Beware, I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her I am throwing into great distress, unless they repent of her doings. And I will strike her children dead. All, all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To everyone who conquers, and continues to do my works to the end, I will give authority over the nations, to rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are shattered. Even as I also received authority from my Father, to the one who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Alrighty. Thank you, Anthony, for reading that. So, we find that they're doing some good things, some really dark things. We like to give praise to God for the good things that are going on in life. I mean, so it's so easy to fall into the trap of just looking at that which is bad. But let's also talk about the things that are good. So, Pastor Mike, what are some of the things that they're doing good here? I know that the book opens up with some praises. What what really are they doing? Well, well, well they're, they're doing works, and their works are better than they were from when they started and first come. So they're maturing. And so the, you see their works, you see uh, love, faith, um, and their ministry, um, patience, endurance, and uh, of, of course, you know, they are maturing in those things, but uh, there, there is some evil that has slipped in into their congregation. All right, well, let's talk in about that, that slipping in of evil. They mentioned Jezebel. Pastor Mike, can you share with us who really is Jezebel that they're talking about here? What, 
That name sounds familiar to many of us who have spent time in the scriptures. What what are really we we talking about here? Well, if we understand uh, Jezebel from the Old Testament, she was the queen, uh, which well, she is a nation, but um, she was also um, you know to King Ahab. Um, but she led the people of Israel, uh, the people of God, uh, to follow and worship the in, involved in the cult of Baal. Uh, so she was an idolater. Uh, she killed many prophets, um, and even her own prophets were killed. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out very poorly for her, but she's also, uh, you know, associated with sexual immorality. All right, so you say it turns out poorly for her, but really it's it turns out poorly for everyone involved. Oh, everyone. So, so this is also from the times of the, the prophet Elijah, Elisha. I know those names are so easy to get <laughs> mixed up in sort of whatever dialect you speak with, Elijah, Elisha. Queen Jezebel. Is, is Queen Jezebel known as being a, a really righteous woman or, or the wicked? Like, what, what, what do we think of when we think <laughs> Jezebel? I think if you're ever called a Jezebel, it's definitely not a compliment. N- not so, a compliment, no. yeah. Uh, she, she lives, uh, or she becomes an archetype yeah, she, for the villain. Yeah, she's ranking up there as saying archetype for wicked of wicked. Um, so one of the things that we find about Jezebel is that, yes, she kills prophets. Her prophets get killed. So basically that means those who are trying to follow God, you can be killed by a Jezebel-like figure. Say you want to surrender and submit to Jezebel and her leadership, you can be killed. <laughs> and even there in the end, she's standing out on a balcony taunting. Um, she's taunting there out the window, and Elisha commands her to be thrown out by her own servants. Everyone gets tainted by a Jezebel-like figure. It's hard to walk away from this sort of wickedness without being scathed. Like, you're going to be burned in some way when you're around a fire like this. Yeah. And, well, Pastor Mike, I'll let you well, see, step in Sin on that. leads to death. And Jezebel is, you know, most of all, idolatry is the real problem here. Yeah. We know that sexual immorality is going on, but the, the worship of other gods and manipulating, um, you know, gods to, to, to bring you, um, you know, se- pleasures of any kind yeah. is, is wrong and um, you know it's just not the God that we serve. One of, one of the things which we must recognize as the church is we have long been warned about wicked people within the house of Israel, within the house of the family of God. A lot of times people say well I don't want to be in church because I saw a hypocrite there, I was in that church and there was someone bad there. We have been warned about this for thousands of years. Literally, the the history of the people of God is filled with wicked people inside the house of Israel. That's not a reason not to be in church. And that's actually one of the things which Christ comes and gives us heavy warnings about. That's why this revelation is in there, because it's there. It's something which is terribly sinful. But at the same time, we must endure, persevere, and try to rise above that and turn back to Christ. Pastor Mike? I I think also that the very name Jezebel has, um, you know, the connotation of some type of leader, though she was the queen, but there's often a leader inside the church uh, or inside there that has slipped in that is leading people astray into apostasy. All right, so we've kind of talked a little bit about Jezebel. And again, she's really an archetype of of wickedness. So we, we do think this is not the same Jezebel as the one mentioned in the Old Testament, just time-wise that doesn't work out. But at the same time, there's someone fitting into that archetype role. They're, they're fitting into that same model, and they're leading people astray from within the house. And again, it, it can taint everyone, Anthony. Well, it's probably more than one also. Um, I don't imagine there'd be like a single person 
to be pointed out to be Jezebel is what I'm trying to say. Oh well, there's probably yeah, that's, a that's per, poss- there's yes, probably it- a party of people in the fashion of Jezebel yeah. leading the people astray. Uh, sure, erring sure. towards idolatry and fornication. Sure. Well, and this is what the condemnation is about. It's not just the uh, Jezebel in particular, but the people who are not are participating. And there, even those who are not participating, who are not doing in, anything about it. But is, yeah, they're just sitting by while it's happening. Right. And that's that's Apathy. what you that's what you one of the things you learn from actually reading the story. You go back to the Old Testament. Everybody's separate. You've got to say no to people like this. The church needs to learn to say no to to such wicked things. But moving on a little bit further, um, so sexual immorality is an interesting thing here. Some translations will say fornication. Um, Sexual immorality is something which is widely and wildly destructive, although people tend to think that, oh, this is just a petty sin I can live with, you know. This will be my little pet sin on the side. Um, But, man, talk about one that wreaks destruction. this sexual immorality always wreaks destruction, but there's also a different angle to to some possible meanings that we find here with this, and I'll let Pastor Amanda talk about. Yeah, that. I think it's in um, Metzger's commentary com- commentary about uh, Revelation, where he talks about really this idea of fornication is not so much an act between people, but it is an act of a person and other gods. And so this is real. I mean, it goes back to idolatry, but it's you know the ancient Israelites. Uh, their crime is not so much just believing that other gods existed, but that you had to have Yahweh in kind of a side piece, right? So yeah. Yahweh c- could only do so much, so you needed someone else. And so again, here in this revelation, John is writing, of course, in the first century um, AD. Um, but he's kind of saying, again, this archetype has come back. There's no nuisance under the sun, um, where the people in in this church I want to keep saying Themyscira. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there is a Christian movie to be made um, <laughs> right. where yeah. Lydia is Wonder Woman. From, from Themyscira versus Lydia from Thyatira. But anyways, yeah. the church in Thyatira, they're, they're, they're trying to kind of hedge their bets a little bit. And this is, or this Jezebel is trying to lead them astray and saying, okay, you can have God. Uh, you can have Christ, you can have the cross, but there, it's a little in, insufficient and you need a little extra. And so there's the idea that this this word uh, fornication, although that is a good translation of the word, it's holding this meaning of apostasy. And really, those who apostate are not unbelievers. It, they are those who have believed and have fallen away from that belief. Yeah. And so this is really... And, and again, by unbelievers, you mean they're not they're not people who never made a confession, right. who have no this idea. This is not just some random person walking the street of, of Thyatira. This is this is the people who are committed and are a part of the community of faith, and they're now being led astray, whether that is they're allowing themselves to be led astray or they're just kind of happily going along. And yeah. so John is writing to them to watch out because you do hear the severe warning of uh, repent or perish. And by using Jezebel, who has such a... A, a climatic end. I mean, it is quite fantastical. It is not a, a simple ending for her. She, she, oh, no. she gets thrown out the window, but yep. not even thrown out the window. Uh, her body is then eaten by the, the, the dogs. stray dogs, yeah. which again, in that culture, dogs were like one of the most unclean, uh, uh, dirtiest animals you can imagine. And so there's just this gruesome end. And so really, John is quite uh, specific when he uses this person as an archetype versus another ones he might use um, a Balaam. And here he's really saying there's some heavy duty consequences, whether yeah, this is sure, sexual sure. immorality, uh, literally taken or apostasy. Either way, well, the consequences are quite bad. Those two things are not so separate. The right. physical sexual immorality oftentimes goes with the pagan apostasy. 
they they go hand in hand with one another. But let's let's go a little bit further and talk about the food sacrifice to idols and get back to this whole guild notion. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you kind of mentioned the Better Business Bureau and this idea of things which we don't talk a lot a lot, but they kind of actually they have some relevance in the world around us. And if you're say a sheet metal worker, you might be a part of the sheet metals union, the you know local insert number here. The same if you're an electrician or even things like teachers, they have different things where they work together. Um, and even not just the official ones, but also things, I know my mother's a school teacher, she has like teacher pay teacher. There are things where people network with one another and they kind of work things out. Uh, we have Facebook groups and things of that nature. One of the things that we find is that's not new. People have been doing that for a while. People have things where they get with others in their trade and they kind of hash things out. Maybe they make arrangements, maybe one skilled at something, maybe they have a business agreement. Well. When it comes to food sacrifice to idols, these guilds come up in that. Pastor Mike? Well, I think, too, we, we read this and we just think how, you know, how could anyone fall into something like that? But I think uh, if you put it in its context where you've got people that are networking together um, and putting, you know, guidelines and, work, hey, come on over, we're going to have some barbecue. Gonna, um, and all of a sudden you realize you're in the middle of a, a ritual of sacrifice. Yeah, and, let's, let's and get to the to the sin of this and so we're clear. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, I think I heard one sermon where, where you know, you know, the peer pressure is to come on and all of a sudden they push out a cake and naked lady jumps out and all these things. And so are you going to participate? And if you're not, then you're going to be exiled well, let, from that trade and pushed away. And so. make sure that, that people understand the sin we're talking about because the sin's yeah. not just being part of a guild. The sin no. is what the guilds were doing. And that's where the food sacrifice to idols comes in. So let me just make sure that we're all clear on what the sins was going on in these guilds. Yeah, that is the sin, but but also I think the, the sins of being part of another god, uh, worshiping another god, is to ignore Christ Jesus and participate in the evil that goes on along with that. Yeah, so these guilds, what they would do is they would often meet in pagan temples. So this is really where the sin is. They would go to pagan temples, which at the time that was kind of something which there were a lot of, um, and they would go in the pagan temples, and as part of their business transactions, they would sacrifice animals, eat them as ritual. And if you were a Christian and you were part of a guild or you wanted to be a woodworker, you know, you're a tanner, you're working with leather, whatever it may be, and your other business partners might be doing something like this, you're kind of put in a position where, what do I do as a Christian? Do I go in here and eat, you know, the rat we just skewered as a business transaction? That was probably something more than that. But... Nice piece of pork. Nice piece of pork. Yeah, that's that's more like it. Um, and these pagan rituals, and they might not be just about animal sacrifice. Again, there's a lot of sexual things which happen in this. They would they would take these guilds and they would intertwine them with the religious structures there, the pagan religious structures. And obviously, from this morning, there are people in the church who got wrapped up in this, and they didn't weren't able to really say no to it. Anthony. So. Um, this sort of thing is actually still there's an interesting way to look at this now Judaism and early Judaism never got into sexual acts to create deals and and agreements and that sort of thing but um, Jews and the early Hebrews for a long time would come together whenever families were making arrangements or covenants between the family and that sort of thing and they would make a sacrifice before God Yahweh and then share that sacrifice with themselves and so that's not uh, making a an agreement in an arrangement before pagan idols that's making an arrangement before the God Yahweh and so 
Um, just like in early Judaism, this is a very common practice throughout the world. It's still common today. We get together whenever we want to make really important deals and arrangements and that sorts of thing. And we want to have a meal. We want to have a meal with the person and that sort of thing whenever we're trying to well, make business arrangements or familial yeah. arrangements. And so um, the problem comes with the pagan idols yeah, that right, right. they're going to be sharing a meal as an agreement and before a pagan idol. So in some sense, the pagan idol is the authority that's watching over uh, this arrangement and that sort of thing. And that's the, that is sort of, in a sense, starting to become the price of doing business is that there's certain times whenever you're doing business, if they want to do it before the pagan idols, are you going to do it before the pagan idols? Are you going to accept having a pagan idol over you? Or are you going to abstain and possibly also lose the business deal? It's not a guarantee, but there's a good it, probability. It's, it's, I would say, a pretty high chance that you would. Pastor Mike? Well, I think in in uh, in the case, and just to ride on Anthony's coattails there, you know, the, things happen like that today. And so there, oh, yeah, there's this idolatry, this manipulation of a God. And so there's this pressure to participate. But more than that, you know, if, if that's the type, if they want to work, manipulate a God, then all of a sudden they're starting to manipulate others and people are starting to uh, manipulate one another and, and abuse one another and treat each other as objects. Yeah. And so then you get into the whole role of uh, human trafficking and everything yeah, and, else and that's involved really, in this. In, in the modern day and age, we do see times where people, like this is the whole, we just got out of, Hollywood got busted for this, a lot of major media publications got busted for, you know, you're, you want to look good and be on camera, well, you know, you'll have to do these these unholy acts to be put to the front of the line. You see this happen. It's not new. These sins are old. But when we actually talk about food sacrifice to idols, there is an interesting story I want to share with the Pachamama. Um, so if you, you follow things that go on in the, the church throughout the world, um, there in Rome, the, the Catholic church, there were some people from the Andes Mountains in South America, and there's some religion down there that is Christianity syncretized with some paganism down there here in the modern day and age where Pachamama is kind of viewed as a deity. And it's come and interwove itself with the church where they view Pachamama, who's kind of like Mother Earth, their Mother Earth goddess, um, fertility goddess, of course, because that's kind of where these things always go. Um, she's kind of at the top. Then you look at Jesus, you know, the actual Trinity is below her and then the church and things of that, they go down. But Pachamama's up there at the top. And they brought a Pachamama idol to the Vatican and did a ritual right there in front of the Pope. And then there were some priests who come in and grabbed up Pachamama and threw Pachamama in the river, hailed by many as heroes. Um, we see these sorts of things happen where people do indulge in food sacrifice to idols. I know last time we talked about this, I mentioned people who are in the church who use common era and before common era. You know, that's designed to distract from the birth of Jesus. So, you know, that, that's designed for a different belief system. Don't indulge in that. Um, but the thing is, is, is these things, they happen. Um, moving on a little bit, I want us to talk about hidden knowledge. And I'm actually probably going to do a whole special program on this one day. One of the things that people don't realize is how much we love hidden knowledge. Cults, we always think of them as being, you know, that weird thing where somebody's stuck in a facility and they all drink the, the Kool-Aid Kool at the end and they all die. That does happen. But cultish thinking is not always confined to that. It does interweb itself with the rest of the, the world. And there's a lot of really crazy things that go on where people think they can obtain a hidden knowledge through some sinful means. You look around now, I actually know pretty close to us where 
I was in the used bookstore and they had a bunch of Ouija boards popped up. Pop. I mean, this, this whole idea is pretty popular. The mystic side of it makes it fun. You see things like tarot cards. Again, I know where some tarot card readers are down the street from where we're at now. Um, but this idea and this the whole deal with hidden knowledge. And when you read this text, there's this reference to those who do not know the deep things of Satan. They have not learned. They haven't called upon the deep things of Satan. This whole hidden knowledge is very popular in early Christianity. It's still popular today. It just is kind of taken on a different form. The whole hidden knowledge, secret deep things of Satan can basically be boiled down to this. As people realize that there's some knowledge out there that's power, now whether they're actually producing good knowledge or not, that's kind of beside the point, but they, they think there's out there some information or something or knowledge, hidden secrets that will make their lives better. And some groups of people have this, others don't. Um, this whole notion that we need that group of people because they have some special knowledge that we can never obtain, that's really the heart of Gnosticism, this whole hidden knowledge way of thinking. Um, the idea that you've got some groups who are elect, some who will never be there, some who have special things, and if you ever want to be close to God, you've got to have special groups around you and things like that. People have always loved this, and they can love it even without the mysterious packaging. Hmm. Um, for instance, Anthony just had a birthday. I gave him a gift. I didn't wrap it. I know I'm bad at wrapping. I'm one of those people who doesn't always wrap gifts. You just stick it in a bag. But at the same time, there's no mystery when you just are handed a gift, but you can still enjoy it. Anthony, do you like the birthday gift that you got? Absolutely. Do you like it even though I didn't wrap it? Yes. See, <laughs> he hesitated. No. <laughs> when it comes to hidden knowledge, to think of funny, when so. it comes to the hidden knowledge stuff, things like a Ouija board and tarot cards, that mysterious side of it makes it fun. But the reason why this stuff sticks around and lasts is because people feel like they're getting something from it. You know, the reason why fertility gods are so popular is people like what they're getting from that, even if it's just the base pleasure of it. People like the hidden knowledge stuff when they feel like it's giving them something. This idea that, well, I need to structure my life with this group as part because salvation is found with having the different groups and we get the hidden knowledge if they're here. These sorts of things, they're still pretty prevalent in our world. Anthony? I think a good way to think about the allure of hidden knowledge and also fertility religions is the propensity for people to believe in like a false scarcity. And so a good example, I think, for this in the modern day, not to say it's religious, but just as this is a good example, is a lot of Black Friday deals. So like a lot of deals on Black Friday will present this idea like, hey, we got this great deal that you're never going to get any other day of the year and we're going to sell out because yeah. it's such a good deal. You think, oh man, like that's a huge motivator for you. You've got to get to this good deal, you know, and like honestly, this is a pretty um, common thing in our culture today. We really want to get things for a good deal and we want to uh, manage to do things as quickly as quickly as we can and that sort of thing. We want efficiency and we want cheap. And so... Um, that's a lot how these hidden knowledges and fertility religions are. Don't have faith in the God Yahweh to provide for you and to sustain you and to clothe you. And to think um, that it's enough. Yeah, and to think and to be content and to think that it's enough. We've yep. got this awesome deal for you, and here it is. You can't get it anywhere else. That's the thing about hidden knowledge. It's not just that they hide it from you and keep it wrapped up. Sometimes they show you, but they say you can't get this. Sometimes anywhere else, be, yeah, and it, it's it, scarce. It's manipulation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it is, is manipulation. It is truly manipulation in, in a way. And, you know, I think, you know, as, with everything we looked at, especially with the tarot cards, palm reading, um, any cult or organization that has special um, mis 
mysterious knowledge to give you something, whether it be knowledge or something else, is evil. Yeah, uh, I, I, I truly believe that. And I do want to have a further conversation about this. One of the things which is kind of outlawed in our culture is to point out that really terrible things have actually been done in the name of witchcraft. We live in a day and age where people like there were there were people falsely accused of witchcraft and convicted. There, there were twenty people killed in the Salem witch trials. There are there were a lot of people in Europe who were killed over this, but that doesn't mean that there haven't been wicked things done in the name of this. A couple of years ago, we actually did a special on this program about some parents, or no, they were I think there was two sisters. They weren't a parent. There were there were two adults. I think it was a sister and her sister, who, who had a child that they, they burned as part of like a voodoo thing. There was down in Florida some, some killings over the, the moon where they thought they were getting some healing knowledge out of this. Most of it's kind of scrubbed from the internet. You can go to the FBI crime stats and you can actually do real research in this and find that it's a lot more prevalent than people realize it is. This, in its actual true face of it, red unitard form, does exist. And it's still out there today. Now, again, we live in the day and age where we're trained that you know, if you hear the name of witchcraft, it's it's not really witchcraft and the people accused of it are innocent. I mean, you, you see people who will even look to the book of Acts where there's the little girl. I believe it's Acts 16 where the, the girl, she is divining. Um, you've got the girl who's divining. She's possessed by a demon. And people look at it and be like, oh, they're, they're not bad. Just because they're accused of witchcraft, like the, the owners, they're like, like, hold up. Because there were people who were illegitimately convicted and killed of witchcraft, now it's okay for people to own a girl as a slave and have a demon inside her and use that for money. Like, that's okay now. There are real wicked things that have happened out there that are on the nose, on the face of it, wicked. Um, and we asked the church, we have to understand this. And I actually may do a special looking at some of this stuff because it's actually out there. Um, it's just not politically correct to point out that it's really out there. Yeah, there have been people falsely accused of things and people who have been unjustly killed. But there are also people who have been legitimately wicked. Sin is real and sin. Sin is really the cause of all of this stuff. Pastor Mike? Yeah, I just think, you know, um, in this day and age, I think there are people who um, will, you know, patronize maybe some of these places that we were talking about, um, whether it be, you know, palm reading or future telling or whatever and kind of say, you know, I don't really believe in that and just do it more or less as a playing thing or, you know, as entertainment. But I'm telling you, these things, uh, I mean, Christ uh, in this letter gives a pretty strong, uh, you know, consequence for those who will not repent. And if you're going to play with fire, you're going to get burned. Well, let me ask you this, Pastor Mike, because you're saying they, they may not think it's a serious thing. Do you think the people here in the church of Thyatira thought it was real serious what they were doing? I think they were getting by with it and didn't see any consequences, and, and they needed a reprimand, and they needed to repent and, and get away from it. And there is always repentance. There's always hope in Christ Jesus. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and that, Pastor Amanda? Well, and I, I think also to see, and in, in specifically in, in, in this city, um, in Thyatira, um, you know, in other churches we've talked about food being sacrificed to idols, and in those in other churches sometimes it was in the marketplace, and you weren't quite sure if it was really good or, or sacrifice to an idol and so but John tells him really your ignorance is not a good enough excuse you need to do your research and understand what's going on because it, it's going to be tied to your testimony and here we see that the the people understood very well where this food was coming from and the the practices and the evil that it was tied to to go off what pastor Dylan was saying earlier 
Um, there is sin that or evil that sometimes disguises itself really well, and there's sometimes there's evil that's very obvious. And this was a very yeah. obvious evil here happening. Yep. Um, again, because it's about manipulation. It's not that because the food you ate, that that's not what the you know it's not eating food that's the sin. It's not even that sex is a sin. It's that it's outside of the bounds that is healthy. And it is using, whether it is food or sex, as a manipulation of others. That we've taken these good things and we've perverted them. And this is where the sin comes in. And the church, which should be the place that stands against, the, against perversion and corruption and um, trying to manipulate others, instead is freely participating in these actions, yeah. or at least some of them are. Not the whole, because we do hear in this passage where... Uh, Christ reveals through John, or in John writes that. But to those of you who are not doing this, you're doing you're doing well. Keep doing what you're doing. But there are some who are part of this church, who are participating in these manipulation and in these oppressions. Um, and so this is this is where, again, sin's not kind of just some like random thing. God was like, ah, don't do this, but do this. It was these are very natural consequences. If you try to hurt others, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it's not really. It can get complicated, but really at the base of it, it's not complicated. And so the church in this city is really being warned about just because it's going to give you a better business deal, really, honestly, it may cost you your livelihood and therefore your life, but you are called to stand up against things that hurt others. Yeah, and we see that with a lot of the monastery. A lot of times you can't get that position if you don't indulge in whatever it is you've been, you know, presented. But just to wrap all this up, so it does end on a high note. And... (laughs) One of the things that we find, and this kind of tells us who is the church, who we are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We're not here to make ourselves into little idols and think we're going to be the ones who bring justice for all. And we're going to make our utopia where everything is nice, cute, and fuzzy. Jesus doesn't call us to tell us this. Jesus tells us there's going to be people who are in the deep things of Satan up to the time I return. Um, you're, you're going to be a totalitarian monster if you think that you're going to, I mean, you're going to be an idolatrous Horrific monster if you think you're going to be the one that does that because only Christ Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. But what we do find wonderful instruction now is, and this actually gives me a lot of relief. I don't know about you all, but I love what we find in this text as he says, for those who do not indulge in these deep things of Satan, to you I say, I will not lay on you any other burden, only to hold fast. Hold fast to what you have until I come. You know, it reminds me of that book, The Paralandra, where Ransom, he goes and he's there. And he's like, how in the world am I going to stop this great tragedy from happening? And if you haven't read it, it's basically take two of the story of Adam and Eve on God has another creation that's on another planet. Because God's a creative God. Again, it's a fictional novel by C.S. Lewis, but he's there. And he's like, I've got to stop the fall from happening. I've got to stop the serpent from getting Eve to eat the fruit. It's kind of allegorically where he's at. It's like, that's a lot of weight. But then... He has this kind of moment of revelation with God where he's like, look, if you fail, I'll, I will redeem this creation some other way. All you've got to do is do your best. Just hold on to what you have until I come. You don't got to solve the problems. You're not supposed to be the master of creation. You're not supposed to be the one who, who sorts everything out and, and has all the, the strings in your hand in every cookie jar where you have an answer for everything. Just hold on to what you have and do your best with the things I have told you to do, and you'll be fine. That's it. Yeah, there's going to be sinners. There's going to be people who love the deep things of Satan. They love it. They crave it. They have guild set around it. But you hold on to what you have. Pastor Mike? Well, I think the good news in, in, this, uh, in this letter is, is that repentance is available. 
I mean, yeah, that you're, yeah. you're not called to be seven-eighths Christian or three-quarter. You're, you're called to be a follower of Christ Jesus. And the church must say no to things that are outside uh, of what Christ has taught us. And so the beauty is and the good news is that if we will repent and have our minds changed to be that of like Christ Jesus and our hearts, then um, God's going to bless those who do that. And so, you know, in, in our denomination of Nazarenes, you know, I think the whole idea of, of sanctification is that we, is repentance carry the same weight. There's always room for us to reflect on our life and any area that is outside of being 100% to Christ Jesus, then we can repent from that. Uh, and be whole, sure, and, sure. and that should be something that we do uh, frequently. God's um, love is unfailing. Praise God. Is unfailing. That's good news. And, and that's really good news for all the people. Mm-hmm. I know we were talking earlier about Jezebel. Does Jezebel repent on the way down? <laughs> there is hope for repentance. Mm-hmm. Even he, if it is just on the way down. You know, well, and we hope that your your walk with Christ begins. I mean, Christ wants people to walk with him. I mean, we're not encouraged to wait to that moment. But at the same time, with the thief on the cross next to Jesus, he mm-hmm. says, "Yeah, today you will be with me in paradise." Um, there's always hope in Christ Jesus, but we have to be willing to receive that hope. Mm-hmm. Well, final thoughts as we wrap all this up. I got a question I want us all to answer, okay. um, and it's one you out there in the audience can think about too. Is this church alive today? You can answer that <laughs> however you want to. Is the is this church alive today, Pastor Amanda? Um, yeah, I think. Um the, the good things and the sins that we see in this church are quite quite alive today. Um, I, I know people in previous churches who have left uh, one of the churches I grew up in, they left it specifically because they couldn't get enough business deals. And for them, church was to make connections and to network. And when they couldn't do that at one church, they would go to another. So I think mm-hmm. that element of it is, I think syncretism is still alive today. Um, I do think it's kind of like the war on Christmas. We point at kind of th- the not serious things more than we point at the serious things. Um, Because, you know, a Christmas tree is actually comes from a pagan tradition. Now, I'm not going to say you're pagan or even a syncretist if you have a Christmas tree. That's, I think, a mute point. I think where it really gets kind of rubber meets the road is, again, it's this idea that that God is insufficient within God's self. Or really God's judgment of what is good and bad, what is life-giving and what is life-taking isn't sufficient. So we have to, you know, we supplement with politics. We supplement with... um, philosophies uh we, we supplement with the arts with we and not that again philosophy or the arts or politics are bad although i don't know maybe politics may be too far gone but um it, but when we start thinking they can give us life and we have to have and them. we and that only yeah and god is insufficient to give us life so we need these other things this is that's really what syncretism is and so it's not it's not because you have a Christmas tree or because you celebrate Christmas on December 25th versus Jesus was probably born sometime in the spring. Like, that's not the problem. These little things are not the problem. It's really where you put your faith. And yeah. so the, the message here, uh, the letter here that that's trying to proclaim to the ancient church, but also to us, is we have to be watchful and careful and ultimately ask ourselves, uh, where we're putting our trust. So in that sense, yes, that that the uh, the Church of, of Themyscira, that's not Themyscira, is still quite alive today. Yeah. Okay. So just to make sure I'm clear on what you're saying, it's the serious syncretism that says, you know, if I don't bring the politics in, if I don't bring the modern day and age, we're not going to survive. 
that sort of desperation that says, I, I must allow it. it I it, have to let Pachamama in. Right. If Something I'm going else to be here. has to be in here because, and the, again, I was reading in the commentary and I was like, well, duh. But was, the church had to decide the cross was enough. Yeah. That was the criteria for what was good and what, you know, was Christ's action on the cross really sufficient for salvation? And the church had to come to that point. And we today sometimes forget that. We take it for granted. But we think, well, it's not quite enough. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with us taking Scripture and putting it in our context and saying, okay, like, obviously Scripture or the first century didn't have Facebook. So how do we use Facebook? There's nothing wrong with that kind yeah. of exegetical process. But it's when we say, you know, God can't give me enough hope, so I have to read uh, the uh, cliche memes on my Facebook feed in order for me to, to feel hopeful. Yeah. And I'm oversimplifying this. But, yeah, anytime we try to take something yeah. that is outside of God and say this is going to kind of be like that add-on, that extra special something, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's syncretism. It's idolatry. Sure. And, again, just to make distinction, <laughs> you know, we're not saying Christmas trees are bad. We, we put out a horde right. of Christmas trees here. But, again, we're not worshiping the Christmas trees. They're just decoration. We also don't, yeah, think the Christmas tree is going to fight off the evil spirits. That yeah, that's, God, that's true. God it, alone it's not like that. bringing in Pachamama where we're doing right. a ritual. Um, so, yeah. Pastor Mike, is Atira alive and well? Absolutely. I think if we understand uh, what Atira means, uh, the odor of affliction, I think we can see that the church um, of the, that gives out the odor of affliction. There are many churches that feel like they're in that place. And it's not necessarily outside the church that the, the affliction is, is coming from. It is coming from inside through false teachings and practices. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a biblicalist. Biblical, yeah. Uh, but I don't worship the Bible, but I hold it as very important instructions. Uh, you know, and so I think, you know, the whole... You know, I, I think there's people who can worship the Bible, they can worship church, they can worship rituals, all these different things. Yeah. But the truth is we must worship Christ and follow Christ. And so when we get false teachers, um, they're already in the church, um, and often they're they're in places of leadership and teaching. Um, and so with that being said, let us be aware and be faithful to God and repent where we haven't. Yeah, amen. Good news. Anthony, is this church alive and well? Um, definitely. I'm split on uh, how to use my judgment, only because I know there's a lot in the letters of Paul which says that, you know, it's only food. Food, sacrifice of pagan idols is still food. Um, and so I would definitely say what is the most important is where is your heart at? Are you, is your heart interested in the good deals of idolatry and fertility religions? Are there things that um, you want to rely on more so than you rely on God? Well, then I would say that you're making a big mistake. And there's plenty of churches that are doing that, that are uh, reliant on other things more so than they are reliant on the faithfulness of God. Um, and that's a huge problem. Uh, so I guess that's basically my spiel. I, I and you, wish that we uh, addressed yeah. that more. The like because it is kind of interesting that you know Paul says that the food sacrificed to idols is okay to eat, but I feel like there's got to be a part in there, obviously, because Paul is never given into idolatry. He doesn't say idolatry mm -hmm. is okay. There's Not a separation much. between. Anthony pulled this on us. We had a nice program. We're getting ready to seal it all up in a bow, and now he drops this on us. Mm -hmm. We'll have to 
continue that on another day, but I'll let you finish your thought. Hey, the conversation never ends when it comes to <laughs> biblical interpretation. I or guess. when it comes to idolatry. <laughs> yeah, that's idolatry right. Idolatry doesn't end. <laughs> but um, either way, it's kind of like what Amanda said. You know, do you have a Christmas tree in your house? Well, maybe you've got a little food that was sacrificed to idols, but also you only use that tree to remember Christ, not to remember the pagan gods. So I think there's no problem with that. Um, that's my piece on it. Well, we've got to learn to say no to idolatry. And um, as to actually put a little bit of a tie on this, Jesus says it's not what goes in the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So we can wrap this up a little bit today. <laughs> um, and what we know is happening with this sort of idolatry, with things like the Jezebel whole spirit, it's people's heart is given over to some really wicked stuff. They, mm-hmm. They've just yep. allowed it and they're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. I, I'll be tainted by that. Even if they don't, on the start of it, have their heart into it. But once it starts tainting you, you kind of wear down and you kind of give over to it. But just wrapping all this up, some final thoughts on all of this. The church of, not the Miscura, but Thyatira, Thyatira is alive and well. The spirit of this, that's why this is so beautiful to go and learn about and read. We thank you so much for joining us. We hope that some of this conversation was useful to you. Maybe you learned something about it. Again, there's a lot of mystery around these churches, but again, then just because that physical building may not be there and those people may have fell asleep in the Lord, we know that the sentiment of this church is a life sin. It comes and it comes back and back again. Sin is unborn to creation and it comes in vile ways. But there's always hope in Christ Jesus. We thank you for joining us. If you want to send us your thoughts, questions, comments, please do. You can have us on SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, download our podcast, take it with you. You can find us on Facebook, like and follow our page. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. Make sure you're part of a local fellowship. Thank you for joining us. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.